0: You're listening to KTOO in Juneau at 104.3 FM. The following is a broadcast of Mudrooms, Juneau's live storytelling event. The seven personal stories you are about to hear were told at the Northern Light United Church on January 14, 2020. The theme was Animal House. Co hosts for the evening were David Noon and Jeff Smith. Live music was performed by Zachary Roth.
1: storyteller is uh, Sue Schrader, who is a first-time storyteller at Mudrooms, and also Sue will be the 500th story. Sue's story will be the 500th. So thanks to the 393 storytellers who have gone before, because uh, we've had a lot of repeats, but. Uh, which should be a sign, for those of you who have never done it before, it's, it's time to, to add your, your name to that, that wall of, of honor. But Sue Schrader is our first, first storyteller. Sue is delighted that she no longer lives in Cleveland, where she was born and raised. About half of her working life has been spent as a veterinarian in Seattle and Juneau, while the other half uh, she's spent working a variety of jobs, pretty much everything except for welding. She made $4 busking with three other musicians last March and now considers herself to be a professional musician. (laughs) Sue lives on Douglas Island with her husband Carl, her two beloved dogs, and her beloved oboe. Welcome,
2: Sue. They run at night. The dog teams, the Iditarod teams. The dogs need the cold temperatures and the firmer snow that the night gives them. And the mushers, they need to see the aurora borealis overhead to distract them from their tired, aching bodies. Now, I can't recall if it was Keltag on the frozen Yukon River or Rainy Pass, but the mushers that arrived early that morning at dawn were eager to tell me how the red aurora overhead had turned the snow to pink over the miles of barren trail they had raced during the night. Now to be honest, I was really nervous when I boarded the plane in Seattle that would take me to Anchorage for the first of what would be three Iditarod races that I worked on as a volunteer veterinarian along the trail. Would those big, burly mushers listen to me, a woman vet who wasn't even from Alaska? After my first week on the trail, I realized my trepidations were unfounded. Do you think I should drop Bouncer? The musher asked me solemnly. I think you'll be okay, I said after I finished my exam. I'll send a report down the trail to the next veterinarian, and if need be, you can leave Bouncer there. The musher, who had his arm over the husky's shoulder, nodded his head in agreement and then planted a big kiss on Bouncer's frosted head. <laughs> now, the temperatures to 40 below didn't bother me, nor the wind blowing to 40 knots. I had hung my butt off of enough high peaks in the climbing in the Cascades to understand how to dress for those conditions. But flying about in those little airplanes and getting deathly airsick, that was my nemesis. My mother said I was the only kid she knew who could get seasick in the bathtub. (laughs) The Iditarod Air Force pilots, volunteers like me, just about everybody who works on the race is a volunteer, flying about in little planes with tundra tires or skis would pick me up at a checkpoint and then deliver me 40, 60 miles down the trail to the next checkpoint or wherever the chief veterinarian determined that I was needed. So pretty sure it was my third rod. so I knew the drill. The three of us were flying from Squatna across the Alaska Range to McGrath. The pilot in the front was joined by Bob, a fellow veterinarian, and a private pilot himself. And I settled in in the back. It was going to be a long flight, probably a couple hours, so I had my barf bag at the ready. Sure enough, as we approached the Alaska Range, the weather went from bad to worse. The pilot flew up one pass and was forced back. He tried another and again had to turn around, and yet again on a third. We're running short on fuel, he shouted over the roar of the engine. Bob dropped the chart he had been clutching for the last two hours onto his lap to look at the gauges. I lifted my head out of the barf bag long enough to mutter, are we anywhere near Farewell Lake? Perhaps we could land there. I had seen the lake from the air on my previous two races. The pilot liked that idea. He tapped the chart. Good thinking. See, there's an airstrip there. Well, except it was early March, and that airstrip would be under six feet of snow, and our little plane didn't have skis. But perhaps the lake itself would be windblown free of snow. We did a flyover. Looked pretty good. After a white knuckle landing, would the ice be thick enough? We taxied across the lake to the shore where some lights were emanating from a hunting lodge. We had planned to spend a long, frigid night hunkered down under the plane in our sleeping bags, And now a warm, inviting cabin. What luck. The surprise caretakers poured us big mugs of coffee as we told them about our near futile attempt to get across the Alaska Range. Being a responsible couple, they needed to call the lodge owner, who was spending the winter in Hawaii. A hundred dollars per person for the night? But there are volunteers on the Iditarod. Yeah, two veterinarians and and the pilot, and they were running out of fuel. Okay, thanks. The couple apologized for the $100 they needed to charge us as they helped us get our gear from the plane. We then sat around the table in the lodge, talking about the things that Alaskans always talk about, bears, dogs, and salmon. Thankfully, my stomach, that had been doing somersaults in the back of the plane all day, had settled down in time for dinner. And we feasted on the biggest moose roast I had ever seen. (laughs) 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 The next morning, as we were waiting for a plane from McGrath to bring us more fuel, I listened to stories of adventures in the Alaskan wilderness, we feasted on pancakes and sausages and, and eggs. Our host told us they wanted to be sure we got our hundred dollars worth of Alaskan hospitality. I made it to Nome that year to the Burled Arch, where I met re met the dogs and the mushers that I had worked with along the trail. Eight months later, after selling my practice in Seattle, I moved to Juneau. The Iditarod had made me a true believer in the spirit of the Alaskan people and the glory of the great land. That was 28 years ago, and I have never for a moment doubted nor regretted my decision to venture north.
3: Our next storyteller is Boston Christopher. Boston Christopher spent 35 years as an actor and theater artist and now considers himself quote-unquote retired from that profession. You may remember him from some roles at Perseverance, Lenny in The Mice of Men, Leonard in Seminar or Oscar in The Odd People. After a few years splitting time between here and as a professor in Virginia, he now works at KTOO and lives happily in a cabin in the woods with his amazing partner, Aaron, she and Wally the cat make up their animal house. Please welcome Boston.
4: What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing's over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Germans, forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Who's with me? Come on. Ah! What the F happened to the Delta I used to know? Where's the spirit? Where's the guts, huh? This could have been the greatest night of our lives, and you're going to let it be the worst. Oh, we're afraid to go with you, Bluto. We might get in trouble. Well, you can kiss my A from now on. Not me. I'm not going to take this. Werber is a dead man. Marmalade, dead. Niedermar, dead. How do I know that so well? (laughs) Um, I know that so well because of a little channel called Home Box Office, that's what it was called back in the day, it was a little channel you could add to your cable, and it was the single parent, only child, latchkey kid nightmare, (laughs) I feel for my mother, Uh, I could watch any movie, anytime, and I probably watched Animal House, uh, I don't know, 40 times, I don't know, (laughs) maybe something like that. But my poor mother, she loved movies. We would go to movies on New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, any day. She felt bad. Something happened bad. We'd go to the movies, right? She loved movies. She loved movies almost as much as she loved football. She was a huge Oakland Raiders fan, and uh, that didn't pass down, thank God. But (laughs) she was a football fan, and I do love football. And the thing that my mother loved even more than football or movies was animals. My mother was a diehard animal lover. She would get animals, um, she would save them basically. There was a Tennessee Walker, blue, she called it, that she got for riding, but then the horse came up lame. She kept it for another 20 years and let that horse live. We would go to the live auctions in Turlock, California, and we saved, one time we saved a goat, which is really fun until it need me in the you know whats. And there was another time where she, we were walking out, and she heard these little sounds coming from what they called the dead pile It's where they put the animals that were dead. And it was two baby cows, and she decided to take those. They were still breathing. We took the cows. Um, she nursed them back to health, bottle fed them. Um, one made it. One, unfortunately, did not. She loved animals so much, and the animal that really took her heart was dogs. She was a professional dog handler. Um, She showed dogs. She raised them. She bred them. And it started out as a kid. When I I was a kid, it was Afghans, probably the wackiest dog around. Then she switched to Salukis, probably the uh, most neurotic dog around. We had some pets in there, which were some whippets. And then Act 4 was Tibetan Terriers, a pretty even dog. But then Act 5 was maybe the strangest dog in the world, and if you've never Googled it, I highly encourage you to, the hairless Chinese Crested. Um, she tried to pawn one off on me once, and I said, absolutely not. Um, so my mother loved dogs, and, and she loved animals of all kinds, and, um, you know, it's... I turned 50 this year. Thank you. Um, I made it. Whee! Um... And I started reflecting on my life and moved back to Juneau full time and decided to leave the pursuit that I had, which was acting and performing arts and all that crazy stuff. And I started to reflect back and I realized that as a kid, I probably was a little more or less, I didn't really get it, right? It was more like, why do you love these animals more than me? Why do you love, why, do, why can't I get the new Star Wars toy? Why do we have to buy dog food? You know, why, 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 why why not me, why not me, why not me, wah, 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 right? And as I reflected back, I started to realize that it was passion. It was her passion. And she passed that down to me. And I didn't ever really take advantage of that or know that, you know. And as I sort of looked back at this sort of quasi-career of mine and started to think about moments of my life in that, theater and that passion, that growing, I thought of my mother because she went through a very, um, very difficult battle with cancer, and that allowed me to, and the moment that really stuck out for me was, it was, she actually passed, I moved her down to Los Angeles with me, so she was with me, and she actually passed on the last night of filming of my first major role in a film. Um, So she knew I was filming it, and then sort of as it was wrapping up, she let go, right? Um, And that was something that I had never really thought about until recently, that her letting go of her passion and me sort of achieving my passion at the same time sort of passing to the generation. And so tonight, as I think about animal houses and growing up in those and thinking about my mother... I want to sort of dedicate this story to her um, because she, she gave me so much that I didn't even recognize until it was almost too late. And they say that we, that by remembering those that we love or lost, that they live on in our hearts. So tonight this is for my mother, Donna Marie Graham. Thank you for your passion and for your life and for giving that to me. Thank you all
1: our third storyteller of the night uh is uh also first time mudrooms uh performer kate dunn Uh, kate moved to Juneau for work in late february 2019 having never been to alaska before she previously kept it weird in both Portland and Salem, Oregon, for a few years after retiring from roller derby, but originally hails from and loves, from the bottom of her soul, Chicago proper. She's a librarian and a bookworm, but adores learning how to outdoors Alaska style. Kate loves most animals, but knows strong willed cats with strict boundaries, or especially her kindreds. Kate was born with three kidneys. Rather than the requisite two, kidney number three was gone by the time she was two years old, and her only regret in life is that she did not keep it in a jar on the top of her fridge to show off to visitors. So, welcome Kate and her two kidneys to the stage.
5: In 2013, I was playing roller derby in Chicago, and I was traveling around the country a lot competing. And as you can imagine, that's, that got pretty expensive pretty quickly. And so, in order to offset costs, I moved into a house with two of my teammates on the west side of Chicago in Logan Square. And this house contained a cat, and the cat's name was Tuna. And Tuna was a tortoiseshell, tabby, calico mix, and she had like a white chest and a white belly black patches, orange stripes, and piercing green eyes. She was beautiful, and she 100% knew that she was beautiful. And perhaps that influenced her possession of a quality that you may have heard of that's called tortitude, which is a particular brand of catitude reserved specifically for tortoiseshell cats, who are all females, by the way. And some of the characteristics of tortitude are... um, Unpredictability, independence, uh, a love of challenging your humans at every given opportunity, and tuna was constantly doing that. Especially me as the newcomer. Um, not long after I moved in, I had moved. I had taken a room in the house that was like previously un- unoccupied, and it had like an armchair in it that was essentially tuna's throne. She'd sit in this chair and like look out the window. And when I moved in, we had to move it out so that I could put my things in there, and she didn't like that very much, and in order to express her displeasure, she pooped on my pillow. <laughs> like, I came home from work, and there she had just, like, done a poo on my pillow as, like, a way to assert dominance over me, I guess. So shortly after that, I was um, downstairs watching movies with my housemates, and She like ran in. I was leaning against the couch, just taking it in. And she, in like one fell swoop, ran into the room, like pinged off the back of the couch, and ran out. And in the moment that she made contact with the couch, she vomited (laughs) like six inches through my head from my head, like threw up in this, I guess, threat in this turf war that I never signed up for. (laughs) So she. That was kind of how she rolled. Um, she, was, she was also very sweet in the way that cats are, where it was like low-key, only in the dark of night, I'd wake up and she'd be curled up against my leg purring and then making biscuits. And if you're a dog owner, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And I feel really sorry for you because it's like being kissed by an angel's paws. And it's when cats do this. Um, so, yeah, making biscuits. Um, so all of this is, you know, these are prime examples of her torty but I think the ultimate example um, would have been on a summer's day when I was home alone, my, my two housemates were out of town for the weekend, and I was in charge, and that included taking care of tuna. So I had some of my other teammates over for a bit of a party in the backyard. We were having a picnic, and it ended in special brownies. And the thing you have to do about that is this was not a regular occurrence for me. Like, I didn't do this. Like, to this day, I have never procured any sort of cannabis product that I didn't walk into a dispensary and ask for. Like, I would have had no idea. Oh, can I get a dime bag? Like, I, don't, I have no idea how you would go about doing this. So if and when I did, not to say that I didn't do it, it just wasn't frequent. So... <laughs> <laughs> um... I ate this brownie, and, you know, I sort of lose touch with reality in the way that other people understand it to be, and I have a hard time knowing what's actually happening versus what I think is happening. Like, you know how it is. So <laughs> I had eaten this brownie, and I went inside because it was time to feed the cat, and I put out her food, and I noticed that she's nowhere around, which is odd because she was very talkative throughout this whole ritual normally, and so I go and look in her favorite places just to see, and she's nowhere, like nary a peep from tuna anywhere. And I end up on this in the second floor bathroom, and I'm washing my hands, and I'm looking in the mirror at the window behind me that is open, and a corner of the screen is like flapping in the breeze. And I start to fixate on this because I'm very high, and I'm like, what? you know, it's kind of hypnotic, and I'm like, ah, oh, no. That's a really cat-sized hole, isn't it? And I just convinced myself that Tuna has, like, jumped out the window, out the second-story window, and is, like, running around through the streets of Chicago. And I go downstairs, and I tell my housemates my ludicrous line of thinking, and they are very good sports about it, and they agree to go outside with me and, and look for her. And so we go out into the alley behind my house, and... I don't actually remember that much about the hunt except for two things. One being the rats. Like, the huge Chicago alley rats who are, like, running around back and forth, and I'm looking at them, like... Uh, and I'm both, like, concerned that they've eaten tuna, but I'm also mistaking them for tuna because, like, <laughs> they're about the same size, and they, they move the same way if you're high. So... <laughs> Um, the other thing I recall is like I'm calling her name, and I I don't like the mouth feel of it as I'm saying it. Like it just is like ah, and so it starts morphing into this like horrible like tuna, tuna, tuna because I I just like like the way that that feels. And so the the problem with that is like no living creature is gonna respond to that because it's horrifying. So needless to say, I don't find Tuna anywhere, and my teammates are like, why don't you just go home and sleep on the couch in the living room and leave the windows open so you can hear her if she comes back and she's meowing. And I'm like, yeah, that's a a great idea, guys. So I lay down. I'm sort of curled up in the fetal position, and I'm starting to fall asleep, but but I'm also just like agonizing over all the horrible things that could possibly be happening to Tuna out there in the streets (laughs) and just... Torturing myself and like feeling just about as bad as I could f- possibly feel like what am I gonna tell her mother? I had one job and it was not to lose the cat and she's like dead now, so <laughs> uh, I'm like vowing to never give up. I'm gonna like put out posters and all this stuff in the morning and just as I'm about to fall asleep Tuna runs into the room pounces on my chest and like parkours off of me and and leaves because she was in the house the whole time so the moral of that story is like cats are (laughs) (laughs) but that was a sick burn so i respect them for that forever
3: I don't know if you're going to be relieved or disappointed to find out that Kate had nothing to do with tonight's cookies, so (laughs) be warned. Our next storyteller is Sarah Moore. Sarah was born and raised in Juneau, and for the last few years she has challenged herself each spring to do something that makes her heart race, something that scares her a little. Once it was cutting her hair short, then traveling solo in a big city, and this year it is speaking tonight at Mudroom's. But for the first time, she experienced a Spring Scare, I'm sorry, but the first time she experienced a Spring Scare, it was something outside of her control. Please welcome Sarah.
6: When my future husband and I moved home after college, we rented a tiny apartment at the bottom of Star Hill. It was going to be temporary. We were still figuring out what we wanted to do when we grew up. I was contemplating grad school. And like a lot of temporary things in life, we were there for over five years. It had three windows and one door, and you accessed it from two sets of exterior stairs. When you walked in the front door, you were in our tiny kitchen, and then down a small hallway was our bathroom and around the corner was the living room. Straight on from the front door was the door into our bedroom. I was home by myself on one of those spring days where the new light shows all the old dust in the air. And it always inspires me to clean. So I'd thrown open the windows and I'd open the door And I tidied, and I mopped, and I vacuumed, and I dusted. Um, And in retrospect, a uh, 400-square-foot apartment is perfect for spring cleaning because I was done quickly, but I was still happy with my accomplishment. And so I went into the kitchen, and I popped myself a bag of microwave kettle corn popcorn and I poured it into a wooden salad bowl and walked around the corner from the kitchen into the living room to flop on the sofa and enjoy all of my hard work in the form of a clean house. And I hadn't been there for very long when I heard the wind blow the popcorn bag off the counter in the kitchen. And so I picked up my bowl of popcorn and I walked around the corner, but it wasn't the wind. It was a bear. And it was the biggest bear I had ever seen. And I've seen a lot of bears. I I summered on Admiralty Island growing up. I've kayaked over 1,000 miles in southeast Alaska. I've seen big brown bears, and this black bear rivaled it. I'm sure it had to inhale to fit through the front door. (laughs) If it stood up, it would have towered over me. But it's okay. I have pepper spray we're a good Alaskan family we keep it right by the door so that we remember to take it with us when we go right by the door that's behind the bear (laughs) I had never experienced in that tiny apartment something feeling so far away (laughs) you know I've I've paddled all that distance, and I can count on one hand the number of times that I carried a bear gun, but I really wished I was carrying something other than a bowl of popcorn during this encounter. (laughs) The Forest Service and Fish and Game, when they tell you about bear safety, tells you to speak to bears calmly. I was more animated. Hey! Get out of my house! The bear looked up, considered me, relatively unconcerned, and put his nose back in the bag of popcorn. (laughs) Clearly, he was a lot more satisfied with the situation than I was. They also tell you that time stands still during a crisis, and I had all the time in the world to consider my primal options of fight or flight. I could retreat, I could seed the bathroom in the living room, and I could close the one door to my bedroom, which has a window on the third floor. It didn't seem like that was an improvement, so that leaves fight. Well, I am carrying the bowl of popcorn, and he does look pretty docile. I think I can take him. All of these thoughts came jumbling through my mind and seemed to perfectly summarize the options in front of me. So I charged the bear. (laughs) And I think he was just as surprised as I was that that was the tact I took. So he did, he started, and he slowly and still somewhat reluctantly turned around and left my house and I chased behind him and as soon as he had cleared the door I slammed the door shut (laughs) and I threw the deadbolt because I know big claws don't prevent dexterity I've seen Jurassic Park (laughs) and in that moment the adrenaline shakes hit and my knees are weak and I'm short of breath but I go no one is gonna believe this (laughs) So I turn around and I run back into the other room and I grab my digital camera and I race back and I take a picture of this ferocious creature as he's walking down the first flight of stairs outside my house and that picture shows this little rump that's maybe like a fat but lanky black lab. And it just goes to show that any bear in your kitchen is the largest bear you've ever seen.
0: You're listening to Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event, on KTOO Juno at 104.3 FM. These stories were told on January 14, 2020. The theme was Animal House. Do you have a story you'd like to share? Look up the dates and themes for our upcoming shows on Facebook or at mudrooms.org.
1: Our fifth storyteller tonight is uh, a veteran. Uh, this will be Kristen Cox's third time telling a story at Mud Rooms. Kristen has lived in Juneau and adventured in Juneau for the past 25 years. She's currently working for the state of Alaska, administering grant funds that provide nutrition for seniors across the state. As I said, this is her third time up on the Mudroom stage. She enjoys listening to Mudrooms as well, the stories in the archive, especially on her walking commute from West Juno to downtown. Welcome to Kristen Cox.
7: Hello. In the late 90s, I was living in North Douglas with my boyfriend. I was on a three-year break, my third-year break from my four-year medical education, and I had recently been fired from um, this crazy pathology job that I had, which I featured, which was a featured story for my first Mudroom story, which you can hear in the archives. Um, uh, so it was one of those beautiful uh, basement Uh, Juno basement apartments with the big windows and gorgeous view across the channel. And one night I was getting ready for bed and I went into the bathroom and I opened uh, the toilet lid and I was struck dumb with shock and I leapt back screaming and uh, which attracted the attention of my boyfriend who came in and um, stood with me staring into the toilet bowl. Um, So I'm 47 years old, and I estimate that I've looked into the toilet maybe 100,000 times in my life, and um, you don't really think about it, but the toilet is like a kind of a sacred place, and um, you're very vulnerable when you're on the toilet, and you really don't want any surprises in your toilet, unless you have an unruly toddler at home, there's really like very few acceptable things to see in your toilet. Um, you know you have the yellow liquid, the brown solid some paper um, like that's it, right? So my boyfriend was the first person to speak, and his kind of mental process of elimination and this like his brain's evolution from like what you want to see or you expect to see in the toilet to what was in the toilet, and he says, "Is it a turd?" <laughs> Which is a solid first guess. Uh, I'm like, "No." And then he says, "Mm, is it a pair of socks? I was like, I also know. And then he says, is it a rat? At which point I scream, it's got a fluffy tail. There's a squirrel in the toilet. Now, as... You know, I've lived in Alaska for 25 years, so I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that's the first time I had a squirrel in my toilet. But the previous times <laughs> I was living in Fairbanks in a dry cabin and, you know, I had like this brand new beautiful outhouse with a hard pink foam insulation and it, it was like um had this layer of Um, thick sparkly hoarfrost. It was like a a palace in there and the hoarfrost would drip down on my head when the heat lamp was on and, you know, there were squirrels living in the toilet which would, you know, hoard the lovely white paper that I left behind to um, insulate their burrows. And until you've spent a winter in Fairbanks, you know, you shouldn't judge that. (laughs) So anyway, uh, back to the squirrel. Once you see a squirrel in your toilet, like, the next big question you have is, like, how did it get there? My boyfriend, you know, like, looks towards the back door, which was shut and locked, and kind of insinuates that the squirrel somehow, like, let itself in the house, shut and locked the door, came in the bathroom, like scaled the shiny, smooth porcelain toilet, jumped in, and shut the lid on top of itself. (laughs) I'm like, that doesn't seem like a likely scenario. The next idea is, like, maybe someone hates us and planted a squirrel in our toilet, but who and why and how? So, yeah, it was very shocking, and um, the next thing you... You know, if you remember from the beginning of the story, like, I had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) So, you know, I had, I said words to my boyfriend that I, like, have thankfully never had occasion to say before or since, which is, like, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you please get the squirrel out of the toilet? (laughs) So, you know, the boyfriend is a carpenter, of course, and he has a whole garage full of tools, But what does he come back with? The tool, the squirrel extraction tool, of course, the salad tongs from the kitchen. (laughs) So, you know, like, I sent him back for something else. So he comes back with, you know, like, the orange insulated rubber, like, fishing gloves, and he, like, reaches in the toilet. He grabs the squirrel by the tail the water's draining off the squirrel. Oh, I forgot to mention, sadly, the the one critical clue to this was uh, that there was, like, water dripping from the top of the toilet lid. So, you know, unfortunately, the squirrel was, like, alive when it found itself in my toilet. And some of you may know how the squirrel got there, and the rest of you, I'm sorry, it's going to remain a mystery because I still don't know. Um, So anyway, the squirrel comes out um, You know, like I open the back door He throws the squirrel by the tail Out the door It lands on our picnic table (laughs) Where it freezes Because it's January (laughs) And then for the rest of the winter There's like this little snowy bump (laughs) On the picnic table Which is like the frozen corpse Of the toilet squirrel the
3: Ends. I have a feeling you're all gonna really enjoy the topic of our next story. <laughs> I mean that. You'll see. Our next storyteller is Tana Peters. Tana is beautiful, intelligent. Oh, wait, hold on. Tana has called Juno home most of her life and is known locally for being a maker. Designer and crafter, among other things like dating this handsome. Uh, you may recognize her company, TP Alaska Designs, for the handcrafted knit she produces, or for the unique, some might say silly name, which in general refers to her initials, but will become overwhelmingly relevant in the story she is about to tell. Please welcome Tana.
8: Okay, well, I apologize for the story. You will soon find out why I'm apologizing. I won't uh, ruin that punchline yet. <laughs> um, so this is a story about uh, animals and about animals and about houses, right? That's what we're doing tonight. And this story uh, begins with a journey with my friend, who we will call, um, for radio purposes, Schmike uh, Gramble. Uh, which I'm going to just shorten to Mike because it's a lot easier. So Mike and I had the amazing opportunity to travel to some really awesome parts of the world and see some amazing animals, which I've written down because I forget every time. Uh, We saw yaks wearing earrings. This is a real thing in Bhutan. We saw rhinos, leopards, a thing called a sloth bear. They're super crazy. Um, I highly recommend it in Nepal. We um, also had some crazy experiences in some weird housing. We stayed in a two-person tent in Bhutan under three feet of snow once. Anyway, we did some amazing traveling. But this story is about one particular animal in one particular house, I'll call it. Uh, So we had been traveling a lot. We were pretty ragged road weary and we were ready for some R&R, which we were very excited about happening in New Delhi where we had booked the, pretty much the fanciest accommodations we had for the trip and they were in an Airbnb. That's right. (laughs) So we arrive in New Delhi and go to our Airbnb, which we are very excited about. It's a three story walk up. And we are greeted by our wonderful host. She is so kind and so generous and polite. And she shows us our accommodations, which are basically a queen-size bed with walls surrounding that. And then there is a bathroom, which is in reaching distance of the bed. You can sit on the bed and touch the door of the bathroom. But we are so excited because... It is clean, there is an individual restroom, there has been some deli belly occurring on this trip, I don't know if you're familiar, but anyhow, Mike has experienced some of this, I've experienced a little of it, we're excited. It is late at night and we're settling in and I go and do my evening uh, bathroom tasks. Um, I'd like to say r- now that not only is this a story about animals and houses, it is unfortunately for you also a story about poop. <laughs> and the apology will become very apparent very soon. Uh, I go in the bathroom and I do the thing, the poop thing. And um, I turn around. I look in the toilet, and I immediately freak out, very similarly to what just happened, because that's right my poop is moving I start screaming my head off I'm practically stuck in the bathroom I'm like Mike Mike my poop is moving (laughs) I don't know what to do and I can't get out of the bathroom but I finally bust my way through I leap on the bed and I'm like you have to deal with this to which Mike answers he just starts laughing at me Yeah, that's right. He doesn't think that it's very concerning, but we have recapped why it's concerning in the last story. We all know why it's incredibly concerning when your poop moves in the toilet. (laughs) So I send Mike in to figure out what's going on. Because at this point, I still am in the world of like, did that come out of me moving? (laughs) Like, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm a little freaked out. He goes in the restroom and he confirms that in fact, yes, there is a rat in the toilet. In our three-story walk-up, somehow the rat got there. He's more concerned with the fact that I didn't look in the toilet and see the rat before I went to the bathroom, which I can concede, but to my credit, the toilet was navy blue. And all of you interior decorators out there, I wanna just say this right now, there is a reason toilets are white, okay? (laughs) Please do not put a navy blue toilet in your bathroom. Important point. Anyhow, so we, it's very late at night. We are, are concerned with like notifying our very kind and very polite Airbnb host. So we decide this is project Hannah and Mike figure out what to do about the rat in the bathroom in New Delhi. Phase one, Mike tries to flush it. Doesn't go so well. I mean, it does give it a nice little shower, which I feel really good about because I feel really bad about it. So that's good. Doesn't work. Phase two, trap the rat in the toilet for the night. Seems like a pretty good solution, except that nobody can go to the bathroom. Okay. So we get to the next morning when our Airbnb hostesses elderly father greets us. He is also very polite and kind, and he brings us breakfast on the patio and talks to me about 45 minutes about all the wonders of New Delhi, and finally I get up the courage to tell him there is a rat in the toilet. Can we take care of it? He's mortified, but that starts phase three, elderly Airbnb host with tongs oven mitts and a carpet bag removes the rat i feel good about this we all feel good about this mike and i we go and tr- like explore new delhi we come back that night we feel great the rat is gone he has clearly killed it or something it is gone so mike and i are relaxing i mean i have like internal struggles for the rest of my life about ever going to the bathroom again But, I mean, you know, generally, things are good. Until I turn to him and I say, you know, Mike, is that like a teeny, tiny swimming noise I hear in the smallest little pool you've ever heard? So Mike goes to explore. He looks in the toilet. And it turns out that the Airbnb host had driven the rat three miles away, because in India they do not kill animals, which I can respect, and that rat was so dedicated to that toilet, (laughs) it found its way back, shimmied up three floors of pipe to return to its little swim hole. Anyhow, the moral of my story and the gift I have for you all is if you are ever traveling, or apparently if you live in Fairbanks or Juneau, just check it before you wreck it. Thanks.
1: I think I speak for many of us when I say that I'm through with toilets. (laughs) Our final storyteller of the night is also a uh, first-time mudrooms participant, so uh, please welcome Monica Kunat. Monica is from Gustavus, Alaska. She tried to think of things that she likes, and all she could think of was dogs, and that's why her therapist has a wet nose. Welcome Monica to the stage.
9: This story is about how I learned to overcome my fears um, by, and, and grow my strength by trusting my intuition, and sensitivity of the environment and choosing safety. I was on a fishing trip with my brother and his friends and we were going to Sweetheart Creek uh, to go subsistence fishing. And we got there and we had to split up into two groups because there wasn't enough room on the dinghy to get to shore. And my brother and a couple of his friends went up ahead And one of my brother's friends came back to pick the rest of us up. He was a bear biologist. And we went. We got to shore, and he was telling me, Monica, there's going to be a lot of bears here. And I said, yeah, I know I'm from Gustavus. I've been around bears before. And so I was like, no big deal. But I still have this cautious, I'm still cautious about um, bears. And so we get on the trail, and it was about three minutes in, I see... My my friend tells me, hey, Monica, there's a bear up ahead. And by up ahead, he meant 10 feet away. And I look up, and I see this big mama bear, and she's got this big, rusty face. And I look into her eyes for a second, and the present in her, presence in her eyes just overwhelms me. I All I could do was turn around, because if I didn't turn around... I felt like I was going to run away, and so we stepped off the trail, and thankfully, she decided to walk by her and three cubs, and I was just filled with this awkward tranquility of being so happy that she decided not to charge us, but also, like, knowing that there's going to be plenty more bears around, so I couldn't, like, relax or anything yet, so we got to the clearing, Sweetheart Creek, you have to get through the woods to get to the actual creek. And we got there, and it was so crowded. There was so many bears and so many people, and I thought I was back in Juneau, except for the bears. And then it was a really hot summer that summer. It hadn't rained very much, and the water level on the river was really low. So we grabbed the cast nets, and a cast net is kind of like this net that you throw out, in round. Ra- it's round, and then you have to pull it in and it kind of pulls all the fish up. So we're trying to use the cast net, trying to use the cast net in the river, but there weren't many spots that the water was deep enough that the cast net would actually work to pull the fish. And we noticed a lot of the spots were either either taken by a bear or by a person. So there was this competition between bears and people to try to find a fishing spot. And so my brother and friends decided to take a break and they decided to lay on the beach, which I was not comfortable with, having so many bears running around. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's some people yelling at a bear and kicking rocks in a direction of the bear. And the bear was coming down the path, and it was sandwiched between me and a cliff, and the, coming down the path. And my brother's friends are behind me, and. I turn to my brother and his friends and I say, hey guys, there's a bear coming down, you guys should get up. And they're like, chill out, Monica, it's just a bear. Then I look back over at the bear and one of the rocks the people were kicking had fallen and hit the bear's nose. And the bear for a second just went something like like that, like shook it off, and at that moment, I knew I had to take responsibility for my own safety. And I made myself as big as I could, and I said, Hey, bear, you have to get out of here. There's nowhere for you to go. And I started yelling at the people, and I was like, Hey, there's people down here! Stop chasing the bear down this way! And the bear actually went back the only way it had left, which was back into the woods. And it was at that point I started hearing thumping in the woods, and it was like thump, 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 thump. It was so loud, I could feel like the ground was shaking. And then my brother and his friends decided to get up because they were like, what's that noise? And it was bears chasing each other at the edge of the woods. And then a, a couple came out of the woods, and they had a gun. And I asked my brother and his friend. and they were talking a little bit, and I asked my brother and his friends if they wanted to go back to Juno just because there was so much tension in the air, and it just didn't feel like a normal bear day. It was like <laughs> with these bears just chasing each other around. And they were like, of course, they were like, no, we're going to stay here and fish more. This is nothing. And um, so I asked these, I had had to make a decision whether, well, I asked these people if if they would take me back to Juneau, and they said they would. At that point, I had to make a decision, you know, whether to stay with my brother and his friends and risk being around these bears all day or face the woods where the bears were chasing each other and go back with strangers back to Juno. So I decided to go back to Juno with these strangers, and I was walking behind this man that I didn't know and this lady I was between them, and he had this big hat, and he had a revolver in front of him, and I'm walking behind him, and there's bears just running around all over the place in the woods and I'm scared that one of the bears is gonna like miss their trajectory and just like run right into us and it's just so scary and all I can do is just like follow this guy that has a gun I was like he has a gun and then I just had this thought oh I'm in Jurassic Park except for it's in Juneau or near Juneau and so we got to the beach And the boat that they were going to take back to their big boat had, the tide had come in, so it had washed out. So I told them I would uh, reel the boat in, and I'm up to my waist, pulling this boat in, and all of a sudden I hear a foghorn. And I look to my right, and there's these bears chasing each other right at these people. And I'm pulling in the boat as fast as I can, and I'm just thinking to myself, oh my god, there's nothing I can do. All I can do is pull this boat in, and these people are going to die. And then the split second right before the bears hit the people the bears just decided to go a different direction I'm just like so relieved oh my god they didn't die and we all got into the boat and we were on the boat headed back to Juneau and I was with strangers but I felt really safe and we were talking about all the things we had seen bears locking jaws charging people chasing each other and we were all just really grateful for our lives and we prayed for rain
0: This is KTOO News Juno at 104.3 FM. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Mudrooms on January 14, 2020. The theme for the evening was Animal House. Proceeds were donated to this public radio station, which has been broadcasting our shows since January 2012. Special thanks to Laura Curt, Northern Light United Church, COPA, and The Rookery for supporting the event and to Lucid Reverie for hosting our website, mudrooms.org. Join us for our next show on Tuesday, February 11th. The theme will be Unexpected. This program is a production of the Mudroom Storyboard. Alita Buss, Melissa Griffiths, Jeff Smith, David Noon, Kristen Rankin, and Jim Fitzer. I'm Rich Moniak. Have a good night.